Welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today we have somebody brilliant on the show who is going to kind of talk to us about this new age of uh, Black innovation and Black entrepreneurship, but none other than Kelly Burton. How are you today? I'm good, Bakari. How are you? I'm more blessed than I deserve. It's hot. It's hot as hell. Out Yo, here I was thinking the same thing. It's hot in my house. So I, like, <laughs> I mean, it must be really hot outside. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So look, we start each one of our shows by having our guests walk us through the arc of their careers. Hmm. And you've been an entrepreneur, a researcher, and now you lead the country's leading organization for Black-led innovation support organizations and hmm. ISOs. Yeah. And that sounds that sounds like a lot, folks, but she about to break it down. Can you talk <laughs> us through the various career stops since finishing Clark Atlanta? And how did your time in the AU Center in Clark shape how you've done this work and, and the work you've done now uh, through BIA? Yeah, wow. Okay, let me give you the abridged version. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm a Jersey girl, uh, grew up in South Jersey, raised, uh, born in Camden, uh, raised in the suburbs. My family's from North Philadelphia. In 96, I came out to Atlanta to go to CAU. Um, it was a transformative experience for me. I, I was coming from, even though I was raised in Camden, about sixth, seventh grade, my, my mom moved us out to the Burbs. And so I was coming from predominantly white high school. Uh, and so to be able to attend an HBCU was just a dream come true. Graduated from Clark in 2000 and started graduate school, Emory, I think that was in 2002. Uh, uh, worked on a PhD in political science, wrapped that up in 2009. And um, I've been an entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneur ever since. I've had every type of business or run every sort of organization you can imagine. <laughs> I've had a um, service-based business. I was, I was a career-long consultant. I had a product-based business. I had a um, uh, an apparel line, uh, and then I started a social enterprise with founders of color, which was dedicated to helping um, entrepreneurs of color to scale their businesses. And as the founder of Founders of Color, I helped to co-found Black Innovation Alliance, which is a national coalition dedicated to closing the racial wealth gap. We started with about maybe three dozen organizations that support Black entrepreneurs. Today, we're 116 organizations and they support about 400,000 entrepreneurs and innovators of color. So these are gonna be your Black-led incubators, Black-led accelerators, co-working spaces, entrepreneur centers. Um, they are in greater than three dozen cities across the US. And as I mentioned, support about 400,000 um, entrepreneurs and innovators of color. Wow. I mean, that's a mouthful. But one of the things about it is the space that you're in right now is so very important. So the first thing I want to do is let's talk about Black Innovation Alliance. Yeah. Uh, first, why did you found an organization like the BIA? Mm -hmm. And why is an organization like BIA needed? Because I feel like you are, you know, in the South, we have this saying that you're standing in the gap, you know, in yeah. churches. And I feel like yeah. you're standing in the gap. Yeah. Yeah. Brother, I appreciate that. So BIA is a grassroots movement to its very core. Uh, came out of a conversation that I had with a good friend of mine, Ania Williams, who uh, lives in San Francisco. I was out there for an accelerator program, trying to figure out how to get founders of color some kind of wind to our backs. We um, running what we call the, the industry term is ESO or BSO, Entrepreneur Support Organization or Business Support Organization. Um, we were all struggling because there wasn't any support for these organizations. Um, many of us start these organizations because we have negative experiences as entrepreneurs. We lack access to funding and relationships and networks and supply chain and, and, supply, uh, and, and, and all the things that are necessary in order for you to scale a business. Um, and as entrepreneurs, we face the exact same challenges 
leading and running these organizations, it was very hard to figure out the business model. Foundations were not supporting you because they didn't consider entrepreneurship as charity worthy. Um, it was difficult to find sponsorship opportunities because corporations weren't sponsoring programs, they just wanted events. And the folks that we supported couldn't afford to pay for what the programming costs. So we were like, you know, we're, we're all going to connect up with other folks in this space at South by Southwest in March, which is wow. a, yeah, yeah, a big um, international festival that happens every year. But this was in 2020. So we all know what happened March 2020, COVID. So it took the conversation online. And there are maybe about three dozen of us at the time. Um, and fast forward to June 2020, we launched this Black Innovation Alliance, and it's been vault to the wall ever since. So over the last three years, we have uh, executed about three dozen distinct programs, initiatives, events. Um, we scaled our team to about 30. Uh, as I mentioned, today we support 116 organizations and have raised about $9 million. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. What is the decade of black innovation and what is yeah. BIA's role in seeing it uh, that is truly a decade of black innovation? And 2020 don't count. We start in 2020. Well, you know, at BIA, for us, um, it's really important to appreciate that the innovation economy in this digital age is the first industrial revolution that black people have fully had access to participate. Um, there's still a lot of things uh, that are closed off to us, but it's the first industrial revolution where we're allowed to play. And when we think about wealth and how wealth is created, wealth is created primarily one of two ways, inheritance or entrepreneurship, and that's around the world. Um, so much so that uh, probably about eight years ago, entrepreneurship eclipsed inheritance. We know black folks ain't about to get rich off no inheritance. So that means we really need to. Right, we're going, we going to debt. We're going to debt on inheritance. <laughs> we inherit right. debt. That's, that's what, what we, we inherit debt. We inherit, we inherit poverty and burden and, and grief and struggle. Um, <laughs> so, so yes. So we believe that, you know, wealth solves all things. Um, people who are proximate to wealth don't have dirty water, they don't have crappy schools or underperforming schools or bad infrastructure. It's only folks who are not proximate to wealth who have those problems. So if we can close the wealth gap, then Black folks can you know, solve their own problems. That's the big premise of BIA. So all of our work is really focused on leveraging the innovation economy to close the racial wealth gap. 
necessary, as we talked about at the beginning. So one of the things I want you to do, and you're the perfect person to do this, I do some investing now. Yeah. It's been a rough, rough time period to be yes. one of these investors into SPACs or found SPACs or find you try to find the next unicorn. I'm praying some of them pop. My wife's praying some of them pop. But, <laughs> um, but, but uh, explain for my listeners, I'm pat for them, the difference between terms like angel investing, venture capital, private equity, and the, the type of capital that you often see banks provide in debt. How do we each types of these capital play into the lives of tech founders generally? And can you talk a little bit about the barriers to each kind of capital for Black founders? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a big question, but I'll try to keep it brief. So all businesses need capital. Um, I believe that the best capital is revenue. <laughs> so if you can bootstrap your way to growth and scale, do that. Um, because the other forms of capital come with all sorts of strings. Two, beyond revenue, two primary sources of capital are debt capital and equity capital. Debt is largely a loan or some other um, kind of debt-based mechanism or tool, and then equity. And so when you're thinking about angel investment, venture, typically that comes with some sort of stake or share in the business. Um, there's this whole conversation about the extent to which venture funding is even viable for Black entrepreneurs. Less than 1% of venture funding actually goes to Black entrepreneurs. It's been a, been a very, very difficult nut to crack because even though investors, large-scale investors, no, or we're constantly telling them that diverse-led startups outperform non-diverse-led startups. Yeah, it's still not enough, enough for them to change their ways. So that's an ongoing conversation. Like, how do we actually capitalize um, the, the businesses that exist within our ecosystem that have so much possibility and promise? But it's a pretty, it's a pretty fraught journey for many Black entrepreneurs. So revenue—they're not gonna like revenue. to hear that. I mean, they don't it, like to hear that. That's that's not, that ain't easy. That ain't easy money. That's not easy money, but you got to find, if you can find product market fit, you can write your own check. Like, you know, you can, you can pick your investors. So that's why the work of our organizations, the organizations that we support is so necessary. Oftentimes the conversation drifts to debt or equity capital investment, but it's like, if we can help black entrepreneurs build really strong, viable, sustainable businesses that are cranking out cash then we'll be less reliant on all of these, you know, capital tools. So profit, not, is that the word I'm looking for? So as long as they're bringing in, as long as they have a revenue source, because it may not be, it may not be net, but it's growth. Yeah. I mean, you can go and make money off that, can't you? Yeah, or get absolutely. money off that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think I read something, I was listening to NPR and Uber like just had a profitable year. You know what I'm saying? So these are the things you get large, you know, white led startups, we get large, large chunks of money. You might have 15, 20 years to get to profitability. The rest of us do not have that luxury. You need to figure out how you are going to secure customers and clients, how you're going to gener generate revenue and how you are going to get to the point where you're, you know, you're net positive. Can you help listeners understand the critical role that Black-led ISOs play or innovation support organizations play in creating these type of ecosystems that we're discussing today? Uh, who can fund these ISOs and, and what can we all be doing to help direct more resources to these Black-led ISOs? 
Yeah, I appreciate that, Bakari. I think what's interesting about our work is VIA is very much like the tip of the spear. This is an emergent space. Um, most folks have not heard of the concept ISO or BSO or ESO, but we believe that they function as the front line of support for Black entrepreneurs and innovators across the country. We're in the process of launching a um, second round of a research report called Blade, Black Liberation in the Digital Economy. And we're going through the early version of the report. And it's suggesting that folks who are supported by these networks outperform not only Black entrepreneurs, but entrepreneurs writ large. And so what we're trying to do at BIA is just to make sure that these organizations have the resources that they need to be sustainable. Because what typically happens is we have a tremendous amount of churn. A person will have a, you know, a, a failed experience as an entrepreneur. They will want other entrepreneurs not to have that experience. So they'll start an accelerator program or open up a space dedicated to entrepreneurs. They will invest all of their savings and their money in trying to get it up off the ground. And in two to three years, they have to go away and find another job. We see that in our community all the time because the, the the, the industry, the space is not resourced, but yeah. that creates a, a lot of inefficiency and um, unpredictability for entrepreneurs who are trying to find community, who are trying to find supports. Now, this community that you leaned on for the last three years has faded away, and so has your so has your safety net. So we have to shore up this ecosystem. Otherwise, we're going to have a really difficult time in leveraging entrepreneurship to close the racial wealth gap. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This fearless fund litigation at a high level, can you talk about that for me? And how could it potentially impact organizations like the ones that comprise your membership? Yeah, it's a really great question. Um, I think it's just a reminder of how relentless racism is in this country. But I mean, um, how I mean, how how it's ingrained and how structural it is and how they play a different type of like we ain't concerned about people calling us nigga, but we are concerned <laughs> about this litigation that can really transform yeah. the way that we go about trying to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. 
That's exactly right. I mean, you know, you look at an industry that literally funds Black people to the tune of less than 1%, less than 1%. And you decide to come for the organization that is trying to address the disparity rather than addressing the disparity itself. That's all I need to know. But we live in a country where, you know, the majority of Supreme Court thinks or would have us to believe that we live in a race-neutral America. That's nonsense. So it's really important for us at Black Innovation Alliance to think through, because this is this is one instance, but we're in a moment, we're in a we're in an, a phase <laughs> of backlash, and we see it with every major like inflection point and advancement within um, our story in this country that there's always some some backlash. So we're in the midst of a, a long projected moment, and we need to figure out how to mount sustained resistance. So it's not just about responding to what happened to Fearless Fund, but it's getting ready for the fight because we're very clear that um, there's going to be an onslaught of this sort of aggression directed towards our community, our like the, the, the folks focused on the innovation economy, Black folks in the space, as well as the broader Black community. This is for those who don't know about this Fearless Fund litigation. This is the next iteration of of fight. This is the new battlefield. This is where we are. This is where we have to be. And unfortunately, we. A lot of us weren't paying attention and now it's almost too late because it's yeah. already there being hurt. I just have a couple of questions before I let you go. Ooh. I want to talk about uh, how receptive has the Biden administration been to the work that you're doing? You can be as, as raving or as critical as you would like. And then I would do want to comment on three members of Congress, Stacey Plaskett, who I love, Richie Torres, who I love, and Congresswoman Marilyn Strickland, who I don't know that well. But talk about their role with the CBC um, or the Congressional Caucus on Black Innovation and how important that caucus is to the work you do. I really appreciate that uh, question. So at Black Innovation Alliance, we've got four core pillars. Our work covers at the systems level because we really want to create the sort of ecosystem that is necessary for Black innovators and entrepreneurs to thrive. So four core pillars, capacity building, helping to build the core competencies of our members and their organizations, um, narrative change, being able to tell our own story, research, talked a little bit about that, making sure that our, our, research, our work is data informed. And the last one is advocacy. So the, the centerpiece of our advocacy work is the Congressional Caucus on Black Innovation that we helped Congress launch a little over a year ago. And as you mentioned, those are the three co-chairs. Um, and the goal of CBI is to develop a, to draft an omnibus bill on Black innovation. So that is the work that we are doing together. Uh, CBC, uh, their big conference is coming up in a couple of weeks and I hope to see you there. Uh, and so we'll be able to kind of continue the conversation on why it's Super, so important, maybe even more so than it was when we first launched to really center this conversation on Black innovation. In terms of our partnership with our relationship with the White House, we do have a, a, a we were describing it as a collaboration with the White House, their initiative on Black Americans, where the goal is to ensure that all the money that has been allocated towards communities of color uh, in this most recent budget, which is, was a historic budget, to ensure that that money actually uh, uh, lands in communities of color. Because what often happens is um, th these, these uh, allocations will be made and a lot of the money that's directed to community communities of color will get gobbled up by white-led intermediaries and economic development agencies, local governments, um, who spend it all down before it even has an opportunity to show up in any impactful way in communities of color. So we're kind of serving as a watchdog to that. We're creating a kind of a digital repository for opportunities and resources that have been um, earmarked for communities of color. Um, we're also doing a series of webinars to make sure that folks have the information 
on the opportunities and resources that are coming out of the um, administration. Uh, and we're also initiating this conversation around trade delegations because yeah. the United States is one market one market of many markets. And so part yeah. of figuring out how we close the racial wealth gap is how we give our entrepreneurs access to global markets. I mean, the work that you're doing is beyond, beyond powerful. But like I said before, it's standing in the gap and it's necessary even more uh, today. I mean, I you know, we have a lot to say about what we didn't do in generations prior to, but it's definitely necessary today. Uh, what do you want listeners to do? If they could do one or two things to support your mission, to help out a local entrepreneur, what do you want them to do? And then the most important thing is how can people follow you and the Black Innovation Alliance on social media and how can they support the work that y'all do? I appreciate that, Bakari. So I'll first say you can find us at blackinnovationalliance.com um, and follow us on social at Built with BIA. At Black Innovation Alliance, we are really trying to figure out what is the collective power play. <laughs> mm. We are working to build the infrastructure for collective wealth creation and um, movement building, right? Um, we have a movement strategy and there are three core components of it, smart organizing, smart comms, and the integration of technology. So we need to figure out what does the infrastructure look like for a modern day civil rights movement? So I say I like to say, we want Black folk and allies of Black folk to get ready because <laughs> we need to get in formation. We need to figure out like, what is the blueprint? What is the playbook? Like, how do we, mm -hmm. everybody know what page to go in the hymnal? And we all sing and we know why we sing in a swing low, swing chariot. That means, that doesn't mean sweet low, sweet chariot. That means we're going to meet you by the riverside at nine o'clock and be ready with X, Y, Z. So, you know, that's what we're trying to prime and what we're trying to ready. We need to really, this generation has work to do and we need to figure out from an infrastructure and institutional standpoint, what is necessary in order for us to do that work. Look, I just want to say thank you for all the work that you have done. Thank you for all the work that you are doing, but more importantly, thank you for the work that you will do. And thank you for joining the Bakari Sellers podcast. Thanks for having me, Bakari. I appreciate it.